You know, I've heard a lot this week, read a lot of Facebook posts with the scripture, 2 Timothy 1.7, says God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and sound judgment. And we believe that. We believe that we serve a God who can deliver, a God who can heal, a God who really has control over every virus, over every little aspect of our lives. We also believe that God has given us uh, sound judgment and sound minds, and that is really why we have chosen to meet this way this morning, and quite frankly, very likely into some additional weeks. Uh, we have been listening to CDC, the Ohio Department of Health, our local Lake County uh, Health Department. We've been talking with local health and phys- health officials and physicians, and with others, churches, and really understanding the the breadth and the depth of the concern of having large groups meet together. And so, we, along with many other churches, are, have taken the governor's advice seriously, and we want to protect. And, con- and out of concern for especially those of you who are most at risk. So uh, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. We know that God is in control. And as I said in my Facebook message uh, a few days ago, uh, this could very well be the church's finest hour. And I believe it can be our finest hour as we work with our leaders, with our governor, with others to stem the spread of this virus, but also to minister to those in our communities who have so many needs, those who are at risk, those who may end up in in isolation. We can reach out and love them. So I encourage you, if you know of a situation like that, meet that need. And if you can't, give us a call here at the church. We are so ready to go to reach out into the community and share that power, that love that we know that comes from our Lord and Savior. So, you know, today has been declared a day of prayer for our nation. Uh, But I think it's a day of prayer, not just for our nation, but for our world. If you read what's going on in many other countries who are a few days ahead of of us in in what they are experiencing and what may be coming down the road for us, I just, we want to pray and lift up uh, this globe that God would stem the spread of this disease, that people would turn to him and that he, in the end, he would receive the honor and the glory that he is due in this world. Let's pray together. Lord, today we are humbled as we realize our powerlessness in many situations. And yet, Lord, you've given us a spirit of love and of power and a sound mind. So, Father, we come to you with confidence, knowing that we know the one who is in control of the sun, the star, the moon, the seas. Lord, every little minute bacteria, virus, you are in control of all, Lord. And sometimes we like Habakkuk may cry out, why, Lord, what's going on here? And yet you remind us gently that you are in control. Lord, there, there is a day when there will be no more disease. There will be no more sorrow. And Father, we look forward to that day. But in the meantime, Lord, help us to be of sound mind. Lord, I pray that you would just be with our people, Lord. Be with each one in their homes right now, Father, that, that your spirit would be there among them, Lord, that you would, your, your spirit would be ministering to each one as we hear your word. And then, Lord, we, we, pray, for, we pray for our health 
our, our hospitals, our healthcare workers, Lord, all of those who are in the front lines of this battle, Lord, protect them, watch over them. Lord, I pray that you would just, Lord, um, Lord stem this disease, Lord, so that, that Lord, it wouldn't go further than we, it is right now. Lord, we, we just pray that you would stop it. Father, we, we pray for nations across this globe. Lord, we pray that uh, those who are in much more of a lockdown situation than we are, Lord, that you would bring, uh, Lord, an end to this. And Father, but through this, most of all, that you would, people would turn to you. Lord, they would realize that in this fallen, in this broken world, there are diseases and there are, Lord, things that we, in our minds just don't make sense. And, Lord, we are saddened. But yet, Lord, we know that you are there. And, Lord, we can turn to you and you walk with us through the dark valleys. Lord, you take us through the deep waters. And so, Father, we call on you. Give wisdom to our leaders. Give le wisdom to the medical leaders of our country, Lord, as they give advice. And, and Lord, may you give much wisdom to our president and Lord to our vice president as he leads this task force on this coronavirus. Father, I pray that you would give much wisdom to our governor as he leads and directs, Lord, our, our state and what we do. And Lord, for our local Lake County and Lord Cuyahoga County and surrounding counties, Lord, the, the health leaders there, Lord, may they have much wisdom, protect them physically, Lord. Lord, may we as a church, Lord, not just Friends Church here at Willoughby Hills, but Lord, may your church globally stand up. Lord, declare that there is hope. There is a Lord, a, a Lord who loves us and has given his life for us, and we can celebrate in the midst of these difficulties. We can rejoice in the God of our salvation. And Lord, we do that this morning. Lord, I pray now that as Pastor Eric comes and shares from us your word from the book of John, Lord, that you would just bless him. Lord, may your word flow through him. May your Holy Spirit empower him. And may his words be your words today. It's in Jesus' precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, uh, all of our friends that are uh, in your homes and, and other places uh, watching, maybe with your families, some of you sitting in your PJs and uh, enjoying uh, this time together, I just want to say welcome to you. And uh, if you don't know me, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's great, just a great honor to be able to share with you today. And if you're just jumping on for the first time and you don't know what we've been doing over the last several weeks, we are in the midst of a series called Ageless God modern message, what is God saying to you? And we've been doing this with an all-church study where we've had groups meeting in homes and in our church facility uh, asking the question, what is God saying to me, combing through the book of John? And we've done these all-church studies in the past, and uh, what we've done in the past is really have a, a central message coming from Sunday morning in our worship services, and then the groups would meet and talk about what that would specifically uh, entail and, and mean and how can it, it can be uh, applied. But this specific altar study was a little different in that the bulk of the work was done in the group setting. And we as pastors have been preaching through the book of John as a support 
for the work that God is doing with you and with our leaders in the group setting. It's been an interesting little twist to that, but the benefit and the fruit of that has been amazing. We've had all kinds of reports of people growing in their faith, hearing God speak to them, and finding ways where they can actually live out the word of God as it's described, the living word to them. And so today, we're gonna be covering, uh, actually the next two weeks, we're gonna be covering out of the book of John, chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles at home with you, invite you to turn to chapter 17 of the book of John. And I'm gonna be reading for you, starting with verse six, but we're gonna be covering uh, half of the book, a chapter of 17. Next week, we'll be covering the other half of 17. And I'll talk to you a little bit about why chapter 17 uh, is important and why we're taking taking our time with this. You also might want to bring some a pen and paper, some notes uh, with you. And specifically, I just want to address parents because that's my context and where I'm coming from. As you go through this, you might want to think through and make little notes as to how you might incorporate this with your kids, since you're going to be spending a little extended time together, how you might be able to apply and work through this scripture in the, uh, as a family in that specific setting. So that's a little offering and invitation to you as well. So here is uh, chapter 17 of the book of John, beginning with verse 6. It says, I have revealed to you, this is a prayer of Jesus, by the way, I have revealed to to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except for the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the, word has ha- the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. 
aside from all of the preparations and great care and concern that people are making, why there seems to be an abundance of people going out and looking for more toilet paper, I have no idea. I'm not sure how all of this translates. But in the midst of everyone making preparations, stocking up, getting all the supplies and the things that they need uh, in response to uh, this um, coronavirus and the obligation to isolate oneself, uh, I can't think of a, a greater planner and preparer than a new mom. I can remember when my wife first became a mom and she was hyper prepared for everything. It was actually a funny scenario when we, for the very first time after several months, decided to go on a date. Now, mind you, I was like, finally, we can go out on a date. My wife was not so enthusiastic because she was fearful of leaving our child. Now, it was with my mother, but still, that fear with her was there. And so, she was prepared. She was extremely prepared. She had everything thought through, every scenario she could think of, she had written down in what I will call a survival guide of a list for my mom to follow in care of our, of our child. And so the time came, the house was clean, the list was filled out, uh, the diaper bag and all the things were prepared for what I think was maybe the apocalypse. <laughs> Everything was in place. Out of that care and that concern, and, and yeah, fear, because of we would be finally leaving our son, our child, into the hands of another person. It's not easy to take that first step as, as a parent. And I can think of no greater example um, than what Jesus prays out of, these emotions that Jesus prays out of in this specific scripture. Now, chapter 17 is actually a full prayer if you want to look at it as three separate prayers that we're going to be covering. And the reason why it's significant is because it provides a hinge scripture, a hinge piece between the Last Supper or the events of a life of Jesus and what's going to happen beginning with chapter 18, which is the beginning of the betrayal and the arrest and eventual execution of Jesus. And so before we head into Easter, we're gonna take some time with this specific three-part prayer, if you wanna look at it as three specific prayers. And Jesus begins with a prayer for himself. Now keep in mind that there's been several chapters all in this one setting that we can see all the way back in chapter 13 beginning with the washing of the disciples' feet. We're still in that setting what we would call the Last Supper. Jesus is giving a great deal of discourse and, and teaching. He's making all of those preparations like a new mom would before handing over their child into the hands of another. Jesus declares throughout this discourse that his time, his hour is getting close. And just towards the end of 16, he says, in fact, it's coming at hand. It is now here. And so it's out of that he gives a final farewell prayer, beginning with praying for himself, just to keep it all into perspective. He asks that God would glorify, the Father God would glorify him in the events that are about to take place, the sacrifice that he is about to make on behalf of the entire world. But through that, 
Jesus is, is also concerned. Now there's something to note about this idea of, of glory, of glorification. We can see it as giving praise or honor or, or reverence. And we can think immediately about the sort of things that we would give honor or respect or, or praise to and would be very similar to this idea of, of glory. Some would just give glory, whether even they like an authority figure or not, but they would give glory or honor or respect or praise to uh, an authority figure, like a king. A king would automatically, just by the simple stature of a king, would receive glory. Whether you like the king or the president or whatever, it didn't matter. You give honor and that person gets honor and and glory and reverence simply by holding that title and and holding that authority and responsibility. But it's not limited to that. We also give glory to things that we uh, esteem value to. Many of us would go to a concert or a theater and we would like what we're seeing or hearing and we enthusiastically respond with clapping and praise and, and, and in that we, we are giving some form of, of glory as well. Now one of them is not really not by choice and another, but another is by personal will and choice that we're ascribing value and worth to something. Now keep those two distinctions in your mind as we go deeper a little bit more with this. Out of this prayer, and as we approach the second type of prayer, or the second prayer if you want to see it that way, Jesus prays for his disciples. He prays for his uh, disciples, and depending on what the heading or footnotes might say in your Bible, it may say disciples, and then the third part might say a prayer for the future believers. But Jesus makes a distinction, a separation in his prayers to indicate that the people that he's beginning to pray for in verse six carry some sort of particular distinction. And scholars today would say that these are what we call apostles. Apostles are the designation of people, the believers and followers of Jesus that lived with Jesus Uh, 2,000 some odd years ago. They walked with Jesus. They actually heard the teachings of Jesus as he spoke them. They saw the miracles take place as Jesus performed them. They got to experience in the flesh Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. There's something very special and particular about that designation and having that role. And that's, and Jesus offers a prayer of concern for those people. It makes sense, doesn't it? Here they have been following Jesus. They've been listening to his words. They've been hanging on every word. They've been following, even out, going out of their way to follow him in all these kinds of ways. But now, little do they know, Jesus is going to be leaving them. And they're gonna be left to themselves. They're gonna be hanging with this big question, what do we do next? Now, that Jesus is gone. What do we do with Jesus' words? What do we do with these miracles? What do we do with this knowledge and this experience that we and a whole world of people didn't get to experience, but we got to experience them? What do we do with that? It's an incredible responsibility. And Jesus sees that even before he's gone and lifts up this prayer of concern for them. Because as Jesus leaves, these apostles, these followers, these disciples, they're going to be left vulnerable. 
They're going to be left leaderless, and they're going to have to figure out a lot by their own will. Now, Pastor Steve, last week, describes so well the nature of the Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we know that they're gonna, not gonna be left orphaned. They're not gonna be left to themselves. The power of the Holy Spirit will be with them. And still, Jesus offers this prayer of concern for these apostles and for these early disciples. Why? Why is Jesus so concerned about these particular followers. The, the best way I can explain it is an encounter that I had with a friend and a group of friends. Uh, back when I was an undergraduate student, I, I spent a, a year abroad in the country of Austria as I was studying. And, and while I was there, I had a friend that was from England. He was British. And he had a group of his friends from England come and visit him. So I got to, he invited me to participate with them and, and get to know them. And as I was interacting with them, obviously they were all British friends from the same area of the world, um, but one particular friend they continually made fun of, especially when I was there, they kept calling him a Yank, which was, you know, from a British uh, standpoint, they're calling him an American, and it's what their terminology was for, for me. I thought that was really strange, and I found out his story. Actually, he was an American citizen, he told me the story when he was a young boy, his dad got a job in London and they've been living in, in England ever since and he was raised in the country of, of England. And so what was interesting is that while his passport, while his citizenship was with the United States, every appearance of him would say that he was British. <laughs> he had the accent, he had the, the dress, the, he had the look. There would be no outward distinction that he would be an American. He was entirely British, but except for what his passport stated. There is a difference between citizenship and culture. There's a difference between citizenship and, and culture. And, and that distinction is important as we explain what is happening with these apostles and why Jesus is so concerned for them. There's a difference between citizenship and culture. Citizenship is the stature that the, the, your nation and national authority gives to you. You really don't have a say in it. You don't have any control. It's how you're born, whatever the rules are, the procedures, that they would stamp that and deem you to have a national identity um, with that particular nation. That's what happens when you're given a passport. It's that national authority saying this is who you are. This is a part of, of who you are and your particular identity. But culture, culture is different. Culture is a way that, that we live. Uh, here's what uh, Merriam-Webster says about that. It says, the characteristic features of everyday existence, such as diversions or a way of life, shared by people in a place or time. It's the way we live. It's the way we talk. It's the way we look at the world around us, how we understand the world, what we believe, what we value, what we hold to be true and, and worthwhile. It's how we do life. That is culture. 
Now, we do have a great deal of say in, in, in how we do that, but we're also greatly influenced. And most of us that live culturally don't really recognize in the moment that what we're doing is a cultural way of expressing ourselves. Sometimes it takes for us to go to a different country to realize what actually is universal as a human being and what is cultural for, from the way that we've been raised and conditioned to think and, and behave. But it's a powerful thing, citizenship versus culture. And the same is true, the same is true spiritually. We have a nationality, a citizenship spiritually as people that have come to a place where they accept Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. When someone makes that decision, when someone makes that distinction, we call that a conversion. A transformation takes place in a person's heart and their life and their identity begins to change. Their identity begins to shift right in that moment. Their citizenship, their passport immediately changes at that moment which is why we celebrate with something like baptism. Hopefully, and maybe still in a few weeks on Resurrection Sunday, we'll still have some baptisms. Whether we have to change that or not, I have no idea. But we will, I promise you, we will be celebrating those baptisms at some point. And in that moment, the people that have made that decision, they'll stand in the pool of water and they'll lay back as if a corpse, as if they're putting to death their old self, and then they'll be brought up out of the waters into a new life, a new identity, a new nationality. Uh, Peter describes this in 1 Peter 2.9, how the nationality has changed. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Our citizenship changes in a spiritual way to claim our identity, to say who we are and whose we are. But that's citizenship. And there's also culture. There's also the way in which we live, the way in which we follow Jesus, living out the ways of Jesus, uh, living out the words of Jesus, leaving ourselves open for the work of Jesus to be done through us. And that, while the citizenship takes place at one moment, at one time, the culture is a little bit more complicated for us. It explains why those of us that would accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, they'd still struggle. We'd still struggle with, with sin and temptation. We'd still struggle with, with doing things that we wish we wouldn't do, doing things even that we know that are wrong that, and against the purposes and will of God, but we still do them. We still struggle with that. It doesn't mean that we've no longer become citizens of the heavenly kingdom. It simply means that we're struggling to adopt the culture that, that Jesus has set forth for us. And that is the process of God's sanctifying work. That while we have been changed and while our citizenship has been established by God through Jesus Christ, we are fighting to take on the culture and living according to the ways of Jesus. This is, why, this is why Jesus is so concerned for the disciples. Because while we are living on this earth, though our citizenship has changed, we are still living in a culture called the world that is against the will and the purposes of God. 
that is against the ways of God. In verse 14, we see that, that there are struggles when it comes to living into the culture of the kingdom of God. And we are often left vulnerable to the ways of the world, trying to figure out how we're going to live to an alternative culture that God gives to us. The world is not speaking about the globe or or the earth that, that God created. The world is a culture. It's a culture that seeks to shape and condition us in ways through language, through perspective and worldview that are opposite and counter to the will and to the, to the ways of God. And we as people of faith wrestle with taking on that culture. It happened even in the early church. We can see this in Ephesians 4, starting with verse 17. It says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so that as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life. Hear that? Way of life. That is not the culture you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the struggle that believers all will face and why we band together, sometimes digitally, yes, to go come alongside one another to live according to the ways and the culture of God. Now, someone came to me once to describe the conflict that exists for, for many of us and for some of us, this conflict is, is very real and incorporates uh, deep wounds and, and, and ways in which the old life continues to haunt us. Someone came to me one time and described their upbringing. It was a difficult upbringing with all kinds of challenges and tragedies and loss. And they encountered some things that were abusive verbally and emotionally abusive. And, and in those abusive relationships, there were things told to this person in their formative years at, at a young age, speaking about who they were, lies about, about who they were, damaging to their self-worth and to the love that God ultimately sees them through. We call this a a conscious conflict. It's a a warring in the mind between competing messages. This person was a a believer. They had their, their passport stamped with the citizenship of heaven and yet on this earth wrestled with these deep messages that had been running like a tape in their minds, speaking lies over them, damaging their self-worth, telling them that, that they are unlovable. And they wrestled with that, even though they still believed in the promises of God, those messages of love and of great purpose and of great care from a loving father. This captures the conflict that many of us deal with. 
It's not just the temptation to behave badly. Sometimes it is those messages of the old life and the old self that carry deep wounds within us that some of us maybe have just hidden away and are afraid to bring to light. But it's those things and those messages that God wants to heal and to redeem so that we can not only carry a citizenship of heaven, but to also live the culture and the ways of Jesus. That's what he invites us to do. And so Jesus is concerned about the culture of the world and and how it shapes and, and, and molds the believers. But it goes deeper than that, his concern and his prayer. And we find this in, in John 17, 15. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. Now, this title of the evil one, many of you would recognize as the title that we're, we're given in other places, Satan, the adversary, all kinds of different names. But what's interesting in the book of John is that more than once, three or four times, John, Jesus describes the evil one as the ruler of this world. The ruler of this world. We live in a world that is opposing to the will and the purposes of God and creates a culture, but that culture has a ruler itself. The evil one that seeks to destroy and cause separation between us and, and God. The ruler of this world. The Apostle Paul reminds us that no matter what we would face, no matter what dangers biologically, physically, socially, all kinds of tangible, real life, experiential difficulties that we have in this world that God cares deeply about underneath of that and attached to that there is a spiritual dynamic. It says in Ephesians uh, six twelve. Many of you know this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Uh, Peter in First Peter five eight describes the evil one or Satan as a lion prowling around seeking to devour us. This is why Jesus is concerned. That while they were with him, they could enjoy, as he described, even in his prayer, that uh, they were protected. They were protected by Jesus and his connection to the Father through all of his life and his ministry. But now, they're going to be left to themselves without their leader. They'll be left vulnerable, and Jesus is concerned. There's lots of different ways that Scripture teaches us about the evil one, ways in which we should be careful and cautious and be aware that there is this spiritual battle going on and it's being fought on the opposing side of God by this figure, the evil one, Satan. In Ephesians 2, 2, it talks about his demonic power that seeks to destroy us. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen describes him as an angel of light seeking to deceive us and pretend to be someone that he's really not. 1 Timothy 5.14 describes him as a slanderer, one that would speak ill against us. Revelation 12.10 describes the evil one as an accuser, the one that would heap up condemnation against us. All of these descriptions, all of these cautions 
are helping us to be aware that the evil one is hard at work in this life as we're living our day to day to do two things, to seek our own personal destruction, but also to cause separation between us and God. But, and if you get anything today as you're sitting in maybe in your PJs at home watching this, if you get anything, take anything with you. You can't take it home. You're already home. (laughs) If there's anything you could take with you, it's this, that whatever we face when we live out the culture and stand on the promise of a stamped passport as a citizen of heaven, as we live out this life, the battles that we face already have a determined ending. They already have a determined ending. We are already people of victory in Jesus. Despite those battles, despite those hardships, despite our sufferings, despite those difficulties that we might face, we are already people of victory. That's why people of faith were encouraged not to live in fear, not to to live as though we're not sure how this thing's going to end. But we're to live as victorious people already walking out and carrying out the battle. I'm gonna read a few scriptures for you and I pray that whatever you're facing, whatever hardship, whatever attack spiritually you might be having today, I pray that these verses of victory would encourage you and give you strength here this morning. Colossians 2. 13 to 15 says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Hebrews 2.14 says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. And 1 John 4.4 4 says, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. And finally, 2 Timothy 4.18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to this heavenly kingdom. The person that came to me to talk about their battle in the conscious conflict of their mind between the messages of the past that had been spoken over them and the truth that they knew that God spoke over them, that that battle, uh, came back to me at one point and described a vision that they had had. Almost as if a real dream or memory, they approached this figure that had been speaking these damaging things about them and spoke to that person and said, I think it's time. And that person in their vision said, I think so too. And immediately they were 
uh, encumbered and surrounded by these, this big rope, a, a rope that you would see is tied to a large ship uh, at dock at sea. And they were tangled in it and they were overwhelmed by its heaviness, but they began to saw through it and cut through it and fight through it. And suddenly, in their striving and in their struggle, Jesus shows up in this vision. And he takes off the entangled ropes that had been weighing them down. And my friend said that they described in their vision that they, that they had been bound for so long that there were rope marks and scars all over their wrists and their hands. And in their vision, Jesus came and healed the scars. After that moment, that person sensed a release and a freedom from those oppressing messages that they had been struggling with for so long. This is the kind of battle that, that we are facing. And, and so many times, we hard to recognize or, or see what's really happening spiritually and under the surface. I believe Jesus is inviting us to be aware, to be aware that, 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 that our battle is not a flesh and blood that there is a spiritual battle and that while we are under attack and while we are in the midst of a fight, we can stand victorious. Jesus is the healer. He is the conqueror, no matter what you might be facing today. So I wanna pray for you, wherever you're sitting and standing at home or wherever you might be. I wanna pray for you that Jesus would um, bring about the same victory and the same healing that my friend shared so long ago. Let's pray together. Holy God, we come before you. Yes, standing on the promises of the citizenship of heaven and for that salvation and for that claim that you have given over us, we are grateful. We can remember, God, the, the change and the transformation that took place when we brought our hearts to you and, and, and invited you to be our Lord and Savior. But Lord, we still struggle. We're still tempted. There are still battles that we fight. So God, in this moment, as we think of those real battles that we are facing, even now, in this moment, as we remember them, as we name them, as we bring them to light, heal them. Claim your victory over them, Jesus. That we as your people can live unencumbered, no longer bound and, and shackled to the ways and the culture of this world that is opposed to you, but to live in true freedom that you give us the way of life, the way of your goodness, the way of your flourishing, Lord, let us live in your freedom. And in so doing, be a witness through that culture, through that lifestyle to those that are oppressed and those that are lost and those that are in need of that same healing and that same freedom. Oh Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.
So whatever your day is like and your weeks ahead, I know there's a lot of uncertainty. I just pray that you would consider the Lord's protection over you. Consider that Jesus was also praying that prayer of protection for you as you go throughout your days. And I just pray that you'd be encouraged and that you'd be strengthened and know that we are together. We may not be in, in physical proximity, but we're together in this. And we're gonna continue to be the church of Jesus Christ that bears witness to the love and the victory that we have in him to all the world. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And God bless you throughout this week. We'll check back with you here soon.